Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport. The ultimate review and preview to all the big action with me, Sam Matterface, former Ireland legend and Ipswich captain Matt Holland and TalkSport transfer guru Alex Crook. Coming up after a period of instability, new leadership. Manchester United end City's two-hour run, who in turn had kicked out Leicester after uh, just 22 hours in the big chair. Now, thoughts turn to silverware. A Northern Premier League team calling on history as they attempt to make walls look like ripe chorleys. Cheltenham welcome the City Slickers to Wadham Road and Manchester United and Liverpool go at it again. Leicester's hopes of finally winning the FA Cup, Frank's future and Alex Crook's favourite FA Cup semi-final moment starring Daniel Amakachi. Yes, we will jog your memory. All that and more on the Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. And a big hello to Matt Holland, the former Ireland international and former Charlton and Ipswich captain. Hello, how are you? Very well, Sam. Yeah, yourself? Yeah, very good. I've, I seem to have been sort of skating up and down the country over the course of the, the last little while. So um, I, I'm sort of, I don't, can't really remember what day it is. But as we're in Podland, we don't need to nail down a specific time. So we're okay. Uh, I'm, I'm heading to Chorley on Friday. I'm really hoping that that one goes ahead. Crook, you're right. I'm good. Uh, skating around the country, was that a reference to the fact that dancing on ice has started once again? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't say I've, I've forgotten it, that's for sure. Although um, I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to get in there with uh, Rebecca Vardy uh, no, for, for one reason. Sorry? But, Sorry? But basically one reason. I, I want to I make mates with Jamie because I want him to do an upfront later down the line. So I thought, you know, if I, she's doing dancing on ice. I'm nice to her. She becomes my friend. She introduces me in a more, I mean, me and Jamie we do interviews and stuff like that. But, you know, if we can try and smooth the pathway, hopefully he'll, he'll do an upfront with over the course of the next six months. That's my plan. It's a grand master plan. I know it's a bit Bond villain. Well, at least, at least you're fit. We've seen a few injuries already in dancing ice, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's dangerous. Is it? As you know, Matt, because you auditioned for it once. So, you know, you know a how long, dangerous long it is. A long, long time ago. Did you really? Did you not get on? No. Was it? <laughs> I wasn't Z-list enough. <laughs> It's too famous. That was the problem. <laughs> uh, right, we've got loads of FA Cup uh, uh, football to talk about, so there might be some upsets there. And we're also going to reflect on the fact that Manchester United are two points clear at the top of the Premier League. For the first time in 12 years, the winners of the FA Cup are Manchester United. You can never, ever underrate the FA Cup and how much it means for the fans and the players and the supporters and the club. When you need someone to stand up and be counted, to pull an absolute rabbit from a hat, Steven Gerrard. We are Liverpool. We are always under pressure. We always have to deliver. That's the situation. There's for sure no favourite in this game. Onto Salah, trying to turn and does. Brilliant finish in at the near post. And it's another goal for Liverpool. Oh, outstanding finish from Marcus Rashford. And Manchester United cutting loose here. Sadio Mane is there, six yards out to slam Liverpool in front. You're listening to the FA Cup on TalkSport. Yeah, Manchester United top of the table at the halfway stage and they take on Liverpool in the FA Cup live on TalkSport this Sunday afternoon. Your commentary team, Jim Proudfoot, 
Andy Townsend and Mark Hughes. The action gets underway uh, late afternoon. Um, for the first time since they won the title in 2013, United top of the table uh, for an extended period, Matt. Let's reflect on their performance in midweek. I was at the Fulham game. Rain soaked, not great conditions. The wind was a nightmare. Um, it wasn't pretty at times, but there was a beautiful winner to salivate over. How realistic is the title charge? Nightmare start as has become the norm for United away from home <laughs> and had to withstand a bit of pressure last 10 minutes as well from Fulham. But in between, I thought they largely controlled it. I thought Paul Pogba was excellent. We're seeing him at his very best at the moment. Um, he looks fully fit, looks at it, looks like he's taking responsibility. Um, and, and, and especially when, you know, perhaps Bruno Fernandes hasn't been at his best the last sort of three or four weeks. Paul Popper stood up and I think that's important. Um, I thought Cavani was excellent as well. Proper centre forward. It actually suited him to play, off, I felt, against Fulham because the way Fulham has set up quite deep, United didn't have that space to counter-attack, which is, you know, the, the normal, the usual way of, of playing um, with Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, whoever it might be, looking to spin in behind. But Cavani's hold-up play was important to them. Um, they're finding a way. They seem to find a way game after game at the moment and like you say wasn't pretty all the time but another important three points um, How much credit do you have to give him Alex Crook for the return to form of Paul Popper Luke Shaw who no one has ever really got a tune out of and Eric Bailly who all of a sudden looks like he was worth the money they paid Villarreal for him it's a strange one with Pogba because there's still a nagging suspicion in the back of my mind that he suddenly brought his A game because he wants to try and get himself a move away in the summer. And I don't think clubs are exactly queuing up around the block in the last summer transfer window. So, uh, yes, you have to give him credit for the way that he's managed the situation after those incredible comments from Mino Raiola uh, on the eve of the Leipzig debacle. But listen, Paul Pogba motivates himself when he wants to turn up and put in a performance he does and when he doesn't fancy it, he won't. I think he's almost unmanageable at times. But you're right to highlight Luke Shaw, who I think has to be a contender for United's player of the season. He was fantastic in Anfield. I like Eric Bailly. He always have done. I still think he's got a moment of rashness in him and he will pick up injuries as a result of that because he thunders into every challenge like it might be his last. Cavani's the one. I think I called that a, um, a vanity signing on behalf of the board when he came in. But Matt's right to highlight his performance against Fulham and his performance as a, as a number nine. He's got that natural striker instinct. He knows where to run. His movement is incredible. Anthony Martial could and should be learning an awful lot from him. But unfortunately, he is at the veteran stage of his career. He isn't the answer long term. And I don't think Martial is either. Do you know what's made the difference, Sam? Competition for places. Now, Tellez has come in. Luke Shaw's elevated his game. Yep. Henderson's been waiting in the wings. David De Gea's game has improved massively. Um, Cavani has, has obviously come in and there's added competition now in the forward positions. So I think competition for places has upped one or two players' performances. You don't look particularly comfortable with this success that Manchester United are having, Alex Crook. I, I wonder that, you know, you're one of those supporters that actually prefers it when things are going badly rather than things are going wrong because you've actually got something to moan about. No, I'm quite happy with, with nothing to moan about at the moment. I thought it was, um, it was a gritty performance. As you said, it wasn't pretty. Uh, Craven Cottage, but it was one of those nights where it was important to get the job done. Leicester having underlined their credentials the previous evening with against Chelsea and then Manchester City coming out and winning. It put the pressure on United and, and it's an unusual position the first time in a long time that they've been in a position where actually title rivals, because they are in the title shake-up, are throwing down the gauntlet and they responded really well. I thought it was a, it was a good performance against a, a, a Fulham side who are playing well at the moment. And, and as Scott Parker was right to highlight afterwards the difficulty of their fixture list. And I think they've given themselves a springboard for them to go and have a really good stab at staying in the Premier League. Yeah, I spoke to him last night. I think he was a little bit disappointed that they didn't come away with anything, especially when that Eric Bailly moment right at the very end looked to be sneaking inside the post and it just went outside. But they certainly looked a lot more of a threat once Mitrovic came onto the pitch. I was with Troy Deeney and he was calling for that change a lot earlier because he felt as if there was an opportunity to get the ball more direct and into the box and cause Manchester United problems because they had shown Fulham that they could unsettle 
settled that United back line. It took a little bit too long and maybe if the game had gone on a few more minutes, they may well have got back into the game. They didn't. It's 17 games unbeaten away from home. They haven't lost on the road Manchester United in the Premier League since the 19th of January 2020. They've equaled a club record. They take on Liverpool at home this week. Uh, live commentary on Talk Sport. It's a great lineup for us. We've got Mark Hughes and Andy Townsend alongside Jim. How many changes, though, are you expecting to the team, Matt Holland? Because this is a competition that traditionally Jurgen Klopp hasn't put all his eggs into the basket of. He's never gone beyond the fifth round. There'll be a lot of changes. Both teams will make a lot of changes because we've had a, a, an incredible schedule. Games coming thick and fast. There's another set of Premier League fixtures next midweek as well. So th- there'll be an unbelievable amount of changes. What I would say is, if you look at the squads, United's, I don't know, bench, reserves, uh, understudies, is actually probably stronger than Liverpool's yeah. at the moment, particularly with particularly with Liverpool having the injuries that they've got. That's something that we debated um, so on the I'm, podcast on the, the weekend that we were surprised actually when you look at the two squads, you look at you know maybe even Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Tottenham, you lay them down. Liverpool's depth isn't really there. I know they've had a lot of injuries, but the depth is quite shallow. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. I was looking at City's second team and, and that could probably finish in the top four. <laughs> in, in, the, in the Premier League. Yeah. That's, that's how strong they are. But both teams will make changes. Um, but I think United's bench is actually stronger than Liverpool's. Uh, do Liverpool care about the cup? And is Jurgen Klopp all right, Alex Crook? Because he, he said something in the press conference uh, earlier in the week ahead of the Burnley game, which sort of surprised me. He started talking about everybody being against them and, and people saying that they should rebuild their team. And I thought, I've never heard anybody say that. Anybody with any real credibility say that. And I wondered why he even got drawn into that conversation. I think it's a sign that he's feeling the strain. It's not the first um, strange comment that he's come out with this season. I thought it was odd the other week when he was highlighting the number of penalties that Manchester United have been given to demonstrate the fact that Liverpool should have been given a penalty in their game. What United had to do with the debate was um, a bit puzzling, to be honest. And I think the, the other managers at the top of the table will probably be quite enjoying this because the champions suddenly find themselves in fourth place. They've got a, a raft of injury problems. They're struggling to score goals. And at the moment, you won't find too many people who are tipping them to be favourites for the title. Um, does he care about the FA Cup? No. Uh, we know that from team selections in previous campaigns and they rarely get beyond the fourth round. But I think he's acutely aware of the history of this fixture and the rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester United. So I think it'll be a stronger Liverpool team than if they were playing any other Premier League team in this fourth round. Uh, Matt, is he unsettled, Jurgen Klopp? Or is he actually just trying to build a siege mentality in the group to sort of try and unify them, pull them all in together? I think probably a, a mixture of both. I think I think there's an element of a siege mentality and, and, and trying to keep the group together. And, and often teams do better when there's that mentality about the squad. Um, so, so maybe he is a little bit rattled as well because last season they won it at a canter and they were, were miles ahead of the rest and the, and the rest have bridged that gap. So um, I think there's probably an element of both. Uh, prior to the Burnley game, I think their goal-scoring problems have been laid bare. The form of Firmino, Salah, Mane, and it might be something you just have to to ride out. And I think ultimately, despite the sort of rough patch that they've been going through in front of goal, Liverpool are still the top scorers in the Premier League this season. So it, it's not something to get too concerned about. A uh, big game on Saturday at five thirty. Well, big game in terms of this is the kind of game that we like in the FA Cup. It's Cheltenham against Manchester City, the favourites for the Premier League title against a, a Cheltenham team uh, welcoming the big wigs to Wadham Road. It's not the usual surrounds that Pep Guardiola and his team are used to. We'll reflect also on Manchester City's victory over Villa as well. Um, they beat Villa to briefly go top of the league for just a couple of hours. I mean, it's changing uh, hands all over the place. It's a familiar pattern though, isn't it, Alex? City start the game, dominate the game, take their time, win the game to nil. They've considered just 13 goals this season and five of those were in one game against Leicester City. They have let in two goals in their last nine matches and they've won them all. Yeah, they did afford Villa more chances than they have been giving away um, in recent weeks. I thought it was a really entertaining game, first and foremost, and Villa more than played their part. And if they were a bit more clinical in the final third, they could have taken the lead before Manchester City. But for me, the big talking point from the game, obviously, is the two big decisions, the on-off, offside, the, the, the penalty given for handball, and Dean Smith's incredible lack of knowledge for the laws of the game. 
um, because in both cases, the officials applied the laws correctly. So for a manager to get himself sent off for reacting so badly to them and then to go ranting on television when he clearly doesn't know the laws. And as we know, um, Matt will know he's been in those meetings as an ex-player. Referees go around the country at the start of every season, remind players of the rules, point out any new additions. I think it's unforgivable that Dean Smith reacted in that way. Uh, Bernardo Silva's opener is the the big talking point. It, it came late on in the game after Aston Villa had kept themselves uh, in the match until I think the 83rd minute. Now listen, the decision is morally wrong, right? Okay, so if we're all sitting there watching football, all of us are going, he can't do that. He's not. He shouldn't be allowed to do that because it's a bad law. But it's 100% correct on side in our interpretation of the law. The ball is sent forward by uh, City. Rodri's coming back from an offside position. Mings sort of miscontrols the ball on his chest. And then from the blind side, the ball is nabbed by Rodri. Um, A player in an offside position who receives the ball from an opponent is not considered offside. But this is our interpretation of it, Matt. You know, actually, if you're in Greece or you're in other countries, because it says the word receive, they take that as he has to have been bumped the ball rather than he's gone in and nabbed it. Yeah, see, I, that I, that is the where it's quite confusing because we're in that with those words, receiving the ball suggests that the 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 defender Tyro Mings has turned passed blind, tried to pass it back, and he's passed it into Rodri. Rodri goes yep. through and scores. Totally, he's not he's not received the ball from Tyro Mings is pinched the ball yeah. of Tyro Mings. And I think that's where the confusion lies and, and where you feel as though the decision is, is as you quite rightly say, morally a wrong one. I mean, it, it feels mad, doesn't it, when we've seen goals chalked off for a toe offside and, and Rodri's in a, in a position where he's 15 yards offside and yet he's onside. It doesn't make much sense. And I think it's the wording of the law that is a problem because, as I've said, in Greece... If you did that, you, it would be flagged offside straight away. And in other countries as well, it's our interpretation of that law which dictates that that is, uh, is going to be chalked off. I think it's something that they will clarify at the next IFAB uh, well, Laws of it, the Game uh, review, which, which will obviously result in another 25 new laws which no one can keep up with. It might even change sooner than, sooner than we think, Sam. I mean, we've seen with the handball interpretation, yeah. if you like, that's changed already throughout the course of this season. Um, at the start of the season, that Matty Cash one, absolute nailed on penalty. I mean, it was a certain penalty. I, I still think it probably was with his arm in that position. I know it's come at quite a short distance and yeah. I think it probably was still a penalty. I only saw it once. I couldn't work season, out whether it was above his shoulder or not. If his arm wasn't above his shoulder, I was giving him a little bit more sort of leeway. But I think I, it was above the shoulder. If it was up above the shoulder, he's not going to get away with it, unfortunately, under the no. current, uh, current law. Look, Dean Smith said he wouldn't have been sent off if he was Pep. Uh, but he did basically call the referee a clown. Did you get juggling balls for Christmas? And um, then repeated it. Uh, did, did, he, did he deserve to be sent off though? Or could it have been managed by John Moss a little bit better? I mean, Keith Hackett was on uh, White and Jordan earlier this week. He was saying that managers and the, uh, and the players are the stars. They're the entertainment. You've got to do everything you can to keep them on the pitch. You have to manage the situation. A red card for a player or a manager is the last thing that you dish out when all other options are uh, are sort of uh, disappearing for you. I mean, he, he didn't swear at the referee. He did call him. He did, he did insinuate that he might have been a clown. Could he have just not laughed that one off? Or, 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 or was it right to send him off, do you think? I can totally understand Dean Smith's frustrations. I think he was probably right to do it because he'd, he'd, give, he'd walked over and, and he'd reprimanded him with a yellow card. So he'd given him the yellow card, he was walking away, and then there was another bite from Dean Smith. <laughs> and so I can understand John Mossy's reaction to that and then giving him the red. But I can also see why Dean Smith was so angry at that time as well. I love Aston Villa. I think they've done so good well this season. I, I'm, I feel a little bit sorry for them that they've sort of come unstuck in in those circumstances, especially with issues that they've had. But Crook hates Dean Smith, so uh, that's that's why he stuck the boot into him. Does he? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Ollie? Yeah, he, faith, no, well, he, he depends. It's whoever falls out with him when he's doing a post-match interview. He just decides that he doesn't like. And, he, and there, was a, there was an exchange. I think it's probably about two years ago. He still holds the grudge now because you know what he's like. Let uh, it go, Crookie. Let it go. Uh, so he couldn't wait to stick the boot in. 
Could you? I just think a manager should know the rules and therefore be able to relay them to his players. Do you know all of the laws of the game? Do you? Do, do you? I'm not. I'm not paid quite as much as Dean Smith. Uh, that go on, is, that go is throw him one, Sam. Throw him one. See if you get, if you can get the right answer. <laughs> I'll get out my. <laughs> I, I, I actually have got a "You Are the Ref" comic book style strip sort of tester thing up in uh, up on my bookshelf, just not too far away. Um, but they're probably all out of date now because it's a couple of years old and the laws change every five minutes. A uh, quick word on Ronaldo, the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game. 760 goals. It's a possible world record. He may have overtaken Joseph Bishkan, but a lot of that is disputed. But he, I think I think everybody accepts he has now scored more goals than everybody else and he's the best. Um, have you got a, a favourite goal? I'll tell you mine. I was sitting at Old Trafford behind the goal um, in the scoreboard end when he hit the knuckleball free kick in 2008 against Portsmouth that went up and down like a big dipper at incredible speed and David James just stood there and couldn't believe what he'd just seen. I mean, that's got to be my favourite goal. What about you? There's mine. You can see on my wall behind me, that is Ronaldo climbing above the Chelsea defence in the 2008 Champions League final in Moscow. What a header that was. I think when we uh, did the running order a little bit earlier on, I said favourite Premier League goal, so that one doesn't count. Um, Matt Holland? (laughs) But if if his favourite Premier League goal, I'm probably with you because I think that that goal was was unreal, the knuckleball. And and it's, you know, prompted loads of kids to go out and practice that as well. My son's in the garden, you know, um, I've, I tried it, broke my toe a few times. So <laughs> that, uh, that, that's, that was probably my favourite Premier League goal. But actually commentating for TalkSport at the World Cup um, in Russia, Portugal against Spain, another free kick. He scored, the, he scored a hat-trick in the game. And you're looking at it, you think he's never going to get that up and down over the wall. He did. And it was just a, a perfect Ronaldo moment. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. It's happening again! I'm ecstatic, really proud. It's unreal, really, and, and, it, and it's not sunk in yet. Might be turned in here, it is! It's a goal for Chorby! And Connor Hall has put the non-me team in front! We're not used to being on television, and it's just amazing for us. And it's in first time of the volley, and it's a brilliant goal by Neto! And Wolves lead by two goals to nil! We all this competition, we respect it a lot, and we want to compete, and we want, we want to go as far as possible. Chorley against Wolves is Friday night, 7.45. It's live on TalkSport. Matt Murray will be with me. Um, and you can listen to that uh, on the TalkSport app. Just download it from the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and you can flick between TalkSport and TalkSport 2. There's a lot of action on TalkSport 2 this weekend as well. When the draw was made, a shudder went down the spine of Wolverhampton Wanderers fans, especially ones of a certain age. Because in November 1986, they were on the back pages of all the papers, having lost 3-0 to Northern Premier League side Lancashire part-timers, surely. It was widely believed to be the worst day in Wolverhampton Wanderers history. The back page of the Birmingham Mail read, Proper Chorleys, or Proper Chorleys, and a picture of a wolf in a coffin. Uh, and that was a second replay. That's how long ago it was. It was a second replay at Burnden Park. 
Um, what chance of an upset this time around, uh, Matt Holland? Possible. Possible. I've seen Ooh. Wolves a couple of times in recent weeks. They're not exactly um, playing with a lot of confidence at the moment. Missing Raul Jimenez up top. Uh, Matt Doherty and, and Diogo Jota leaving has left a bit of a, uh, a hole in, in the Wolves squad. And particularly the, the fact that he's changed from a, a back three to a, to a back four. And, that, and since he's gone to the, to the back four, they can't keep a clean sheet. So there's a lot of issues that, that Nuno's got at the moment. I think Fabio Silva's improving. You know, the last couple of times I've seen him, I think he's he's starting to get there a bit. He scored um, a good goal on the weekend against West Brom, didn't he? Took that really well. He did take it well. And, it, and I thought he played, you know, pretty well as well. He's Again, he's a young lad. He's learning his, his game. and he's he, But he's, he's starting to take a bit of responsibility. Um, I, I think Wolves will win the game. But... Don't get me wrong. There is a, there is a chance of an upset, and and, and obviously Chorley. I know they beat Derby, but it, and it was their youth team. But you know they they they'll feel as though they got a chance, particularly at their own ground. Uh, this is proper FA Cup as well, Crook, isn't it? I mean, the, we've got a butcher's shop assistant, a lift engineer, a personal trainer, a student, a bloke that works for Eddie Stobart. The weather in Chorley has been particularly bad. There's been flooding in the areas surrounding the ground. I do hope it goes ahead. But the pitch might not be the best and Wolverhampton Wanderers aren't exactly in the greatest of form. I mean, this has got... If you were doing a sort of step-by-step recipe for an FA Cup upset, this includes every ingredient. Yeah, and didn't the groundsman sleep underneath the, the tarpauling that was protecting the pitch ahead of their last game? I, I guess he might be having to do the same again. I mean, they're going to be working tirelessly to get this game on. And they do have one advantage, don't they? One quite big advantage over Wolves in that their own domestic season has been put on hold. Yep. So they're going to be fully refreshed and fit for this game. Since they beat Derby, this is all they've had to focus on. Whereas, of course, Wolves have had uh, rigorous matches in the Premier League, a local Derby to contend with. I think it could be an upset. Yep. And Matt's mentioned it. Wolves look to be going through transition. Something doesn't quite sit right at the moment with the manager. They've decided, finally, they need to actually sign a experienced striker. I think William Jose will arrive too late for this game from Sociedad due to work permit regulations. If if he makes one or two changes, Nuno Espirito Santo, and I think he will, surely will fancy their chances. This is going to be a fantastic FA Cup tie. And, and the history that you talk about, I mean, my brother-in-law is the biggest Wolves fan in the world. And when the draw was made, he said to me, that was the worst point in our entire history. So all the ingredients are there for a fantastic FA Cup evening. Even if we would be lower in the table, I think uh, we, we know about the importance of this competition and I think everybody wants to yeah, get their hands on it. Well, Bamiyang from two yards out and now Arsenal seal their place in the next round of the FA Cup. We are the holders, we have to defend uh, that title and uh, we know how it means uh, for the football club and uh, the history that is related uh, to the FA Cup. So. It's a great competition to play for us. Southampton against Arsenal is a 12.30 start on Talk Sport. And Southampton maybe against Arsenal is not so much of a big FA Cup tie that sort of evokes the romance as maybe Cheltenham Manchester City does and maybe Chorley against Wolverhampton Wanderers does. But it's a big opportunity, I think, for Southampton, Matt, to get themselves through the competition. Because although, you know, the big team's still in it, this is a kind of competition where Southampton could do some damage. Yeah, it's one they'll fancy their chances in. Um, obviously, came through uh, the last round just just this week, wasn't it, against Shrewsbury. Um, but they're up against a team who are starting to turn a corner, finding a bit of form. Won five in the last six. Aubameyang scored a couple of goals. Smith Rowe looks a, a proper player. Uh, myself and Crookie have done a lot of Arsenal's Europa League games, and you know, in commentary, I've I've said quite frequently that I'm a big fan of his, and I was surprised that he hadn't had more opportunity uh, earlier on in the season, actually, because some of his performances in the Europa League merited it. Um, so they they're in in decent form at the moment, Arsenal, and and obviously the the holders as well. So. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I still think Arsenal probably will will be strong enough to come through it. But yeah, again, Southampton will fancy chances. I, I say that because Southampton haven't been in great form themselves at, at 
in recent weeks. No, they've stopped scoring um, goals, haven't they? What's the reason for that, Alex? Well, the fact that Danny Ings has not been available week in, week out is, is a massive factor. Quick, Danny, sign um, the contract. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, obviously that's provided a bit of a smokescreen this week as well. A uh, bit of a sideshow. But I know why, but I don't like this full round of Premier League fixtures coming in the immediate week, midweek after the fourth round because I think it will alter a manager's team selection, especially at the moment. And actually these two meet again in midweek and I... I would, would imagine the two teams will be very different for the for the two competitions. But I think Southampton can afford to have a go. Um, they're, sat, they're sat pretty in the Premier League, level on points with Chelsea with a game in hand. I'm sure you don't need reminding of that, Sam. It's, it's, so, it's not a major achievement, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> so the FA Cup is, is there for them. Obviously, Theo Walcott was given the night off in midweek. I'd imagine he will be chomping at the bit to play against his former club. Hopefully, Danny Ings is available after his COVID-19 scare. But I wouldn't expect him to start with a the Premier League game on the on the horizon. They have stopped scoring goals, but they're not conceding goals. So they're going to make this very tight, even without uh, Vestergaard, who's probably been their best defender this season. Stevens and Bednarek have, have formed a good partnership. I, I think you could be in for an extended day. I could see this one going all the way to extra time and possibly penalties. Not for me. I'll be at uh, Cheltenham, but uh, Jim Proudfoot might have a longer day than he, he maybe anticipated. The winners of uh, Wolves against Chorley play the winners of Southampton against Arsenal. So, you know, I think there's encouragement there for both Arsenal and Southampton, especially with Wolves out of form, that a quarterfinal place is not too far away from their grasp if they take it seriously. Uh, Everton against Sheffield Wednesday is an interesting game as well, isn't it? Sunday at eight o'clock. The winners of this will play Tottenham Hotspur or Wickham Wanderers, which is a Monday night game we'd look at in just a moment. Uh, But Everton have got to target the cup competitions, haven't they? Because they're probably not going to win the league. They may well get into a European place. But the idea of bringing success and silverware uh, to the football club must be on Carlo Ancelotti's agenda because I know that they've done some very good deals, but they've brought some high-profile individuals to the club, Matt. Home win. Yeah, I think Everton will, will come through this. I think we saw the team selection actually against Rotherham in the last round. I know it, t- it took extra time to beat them, um, but it was a, a, a fairly strong team that he, he selected. And I think that signalled his intent, really, to, to say that they want to have a go in this competition. So, uh, yeah, I think I think Everton will will win this game, particularly on the back of Sheffield Wednesday. I haven't played, I don't think, since, since the FA Cup. Um, they've had a, obviously a COVID outbreak and, and and not played their last couple of championship games. Have they changed the um, manager again yet? I mean, they tend to, <laughs> they tend to do that. <laughs> they've got a new one yet, no, have they? Not, not, no. not this week. No, not this week. I might apply so I, for that job. I, I mean, it's only a sort of two week sort of appointment. For Everton, I'm going. Two weeks of conment as the Sheffield Wednesday manager. Everyone should have a have a little turn. Um, only two wins in five for Everton, though, Alex. As I've said all along, I think they'll probably end up finishing eighth. Um, at the moment, with, with the games in hand, they are top four contenders, but I think there will be four or five even better teams than them in the Premier League. So I agree with Matt. They have to target this FA Cup. And I think this could be one of the bankers of the weekend. I don't fancy Sheffield Wednesday at all. Not going great guns in their own league. Bit of chaos behind the scenes. If he puts out a strong enough team, I think Everton will probably win this comfortably and probably win it to nil and then go through and face Tottenham in the next round, which, of course, evokes memories of that famous uh, semi-final back in 1995 when, was it Daniel Amakachi brought himself on as sub? I don't think it evoked memories in anybody else, actually. I think Matt was pretty blank-faced about it and I was like, what's he talking about? So you're probably going to have to educate us on the whole story. Well, Everton beat Tottenham in a semi-final, um, I think at Wembley. Uh, and, and the story goes that Amakachi just decided, grabbed the fourth official's uh, boards as they were there, not the electronic ones, just the bog-standard uh, numbers to come on and brought himself on and end up scoring two goals and took Everton into the FA Cup final, which they won. It can't be true, but it's a great story, isn't it? Um, they, yeah, they went to the FA Cup final. And did they win that FA Cup final in 1995? They did. Paul Rideout who, who, scored the who only did they goal. they beat in the fire? I can't remember. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Might be turned in here, it is! It's a goal for Chorby! And Connor Hall has put the non-meet team in front. The youngest player to play for Spurs has scored. It was a divine finish by Alfie Devine. And Blackpool are through, and the Premier League side go out. Blackpool win 3-2 on penalties. This is Louis Barry's scored! Oh my word, what a story in the FA 
Cup. The magic of the FA Cup is happening again. And it's glanced in by Craig Dawson to put West Ham United into the league. And now Arsenal seal their place in the next round of the FA Cup. And Leicester in for a third here with Castagna laying it to Perez. And it's 3-0. Manchester United against Liverpool. Bruno Fernandes, Edison Cavani and Manchester United win the game. Back to Salah and he rifles it into the net. What a fantastic finish. This is tense. This is tight. This is FA Cup football on Chalk Sport. Producer Lucy is here to set up FA Cup roulette rivalry. Hello. Hello, you're all right. Yeah, we're good, thank you. Uh, how are you now? Because we know that uh, you've been pretty ill on this podcast and we just wanted to check in and make sure you're okay. Are you cutting up to uh, the dog? Yeah, I know, um, I've managed to um, get him upstairs now, so he's uh, he sleeps with me on a night, which what, is always what, nice. Why would you do that? Is that is that not normal behaviour? Don't they sort of like scratch their bums and like do things with their paws? Why would you want that in your bed? I don't understand that. I never understand that with dog people. Well, I'm sure your wife has the same opinion as you, Tom. <laughs> Right, let's crack on. Very true. Gasping for a brave. Before we crack on, sorry, I've just Googled this because I'm not going mad. So Joe Royal tells the story. So Paul Rideout went off on a stretcher. was actually okay to continue, but Amakachi picked up the board while he was being treated, brought himself on and scored two goals. Brilliant. FA Cup story. It's a great FA Cup story. How can you not know that? It's great. Well, we know it now. We've just been educated by you. Brilliant. Uh, Lucy's got a brew on, so should we crack on? So uh, this is FA Cup roulette rivalry. So this week, I want you to spend 45 seconds making a case for an FA Cup shock. So I think we'll start with you, Crook. What are you going for? I think I'm going to go for Brighton against Blackpool, which is the match that I'm going to be at for game day live. Well, when you're ready, take it away. Does that not count as part of my 45 seconds? Um, We've already seen uh, Blackpool's Ponchon for a giant killing in this season's FA Cup. Of course, they put out West Bromwich Albion in the third round, which was predicted actually by our own Sam Matterface. Credit to him. And I think this is a difficult game for Brighton. Again, because of the fact they've got a midweek match to come, a big midweek match to come against Fulham in the week. Graham Potter is going to put all his eggs in that basket. He'll probably make 11 changes. Blackpool are going to be fired up and they will enjoy playing at the Amex Stadium, the lush turf, nice stadium. I think they've got a great chance, the League One team. Again, they're not doing fantastically well in their own division, but the FA Cup clearly brings the best out of them. And I think Brighton could be on a very sticky wicket in this one. How many more seconds have you got, Phil? Uh, he had five seconds, to Phil. Crookie, t- tell us about that 1995 Cup semi-final again. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, Phil, some space. I couldn't get into that properly because I'm still shocked that you don't remember Daniel Amakachi. We, we well, remember Daniel Amakachi. We just didn't remember that on. particular moment. I think they wore a very garish white strip. Stop, stop trying to detract from the fact that you've performed poorly. That wasn't my finest effort, but I think Blackpool could beat Brighton. Right, Sam, let's go for you. Okay. I'm going to go what for Sheffield got? United versus Plymouth, if that's all right. Off you go. Well, Sheffield United, as we know, have been struggling at the bottom of the Premier League table. Plymouth actually have had a recent upturn in form in League One. They're up to 11th in the division. They've just beaten Sunderland, which is a major scalp uh, for them. Um, In the last round, they were victorious over Huddersfield, while Sheffield United laboured to a victory against Bristol Rovers by the same scoreline, both 3-2. So pretty entertaining matches. So we could be in for another entertaining match uh, when these two meet at the weekend. Plymouth have already come through three rounds. They've beaten Charlton, which is a a decent scout for them. They've beaten uh, Lincoln as well as Huddersfield, Championship opposition. Um, And look, they haven't been to the fifth round since 2007. So it's a major, major prize for Ryan Lowe, who's a very good manager. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Right. This section was supposed to be no notes. Now, bearing in mind that Matterface didn't know what shock he was going to go for until Matt Holland gave him one five minutes before we came on air, where have all those facts come from? They're not in his brain. Just to let you know, um, it doesn't say no notes this week on the script because we wanted to give quality previews uh, for the FA Cup uh, fourth round. And uh, I did Google all those facts whilst you were waffling on about Daniel Amakachi. Right, Matt, are you ready? <laughs> yes, I'm ready, I'm ready. Now these two have stopped bickering. What have you, what are you going for? 
I'm going for Bournemouth against Crawley. The Matt Tubbs derby. As it's commonly known. Okay, well, I'm going for this one because Bournemouth haven't got a great record in cup competitions and we've seen them make lots of changes uh, in, in recent seasons. Their priority this season is getting promoted back to the Premier League. So the cup takes a bit of a backwards seat for them. Um, and Crawley are already the big giant killers of the FA Cup this season by producing the shock of the third round, uh, beating Leeds. Um, they've not played since that cup win. Again, COVID outbreak at, at the club. Um, so I think they'll be fresh and ready to go at this one. And also the manager, John Yems, has got a bit of an axe to grind with Bournemouth. Um, made redundant in 2018. He was a coach at Bournemouth for many years. Um, but there was an acrimonious split and he will be delighted if he can turn over the cherries. That was beautiful, that, Matt. Well done. Well done, Matt. That was excellent. You're going to criticise him as well, Alex. You're going to start with your obliteration of uh, Matt Holland, or are you? No, I thought that was that? very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all, all the bases covered. Oh, that's good. Right. Okay. Let's move on. Win tonight, and Leicester City will be top of the Premier League after 19 games. They come down the right again with a cross by Albrighton towards Barnes, who miss kicks it on the edge of the area. Indeed, he with the thunderbolt hits the post and in, and Leicester City have taken less than six minutes to go in front from a corner. Tielemans comes across to help out, but he goes infield instead, and Madison tries one from distance, hits the top of the crossbar. On to Pulisic, who goes down under a challenge. Penalty kick is going to be awarded for Chelsea. It looks as if it's outside. It's going to be a free kick, no penalty. Albrighton has sent the ball forward it might come through to James Madison inside the area he's onside and he strokes it past a stranded Mendy and Leicester City go 2-0 up against Chelsea just before half time on to Justin again into the area oh this is lovely from Leicester or Brighton in turns and scores offside flag is up it's whipped in by Ziyech in towards Werner and Timo Werner stabs it home and then glances towards his left and sees the offside flag go up Indeedy who started the party after five minutes with a crack effort from the edge of the area gets the final touch Leicester City are back on top of the Premier League Leicester 2 Chelsea 0 he'll know that if things don't improve very very quickly that he won't be that there's not going to be sort of mates rates as such as there for for Frank Lampard he'll be out with Frank Lampard in charge they don't have any chance of top four absolutely okay. none whatsoever they weren't even that good we were just embarrassingly woeful it was you know Leicester, you know, Leicester, they, did, they don't need to have a shower after the game because they've not even broken sweat. Yes, we sir. were that bad. They, we just, you know, they didn't win the game, we lost the game. If I've got one criticism of Frank right now, right, is I would play the same team week in, week out, whether yeah. we win 4-0 or we lose 4-0. Play the same team, let them learn, let them play together. And I just don't think he knows the right players. But you, how is he going to know? How is he going to find out if he doesn't get the time? Sam, like, do you want him in or out? That means out. Frank Lampard is under increasing scrutiny and the microscope will be upon him when Luton take on Chelsea at midday on TalkSport 2 this Sunday. Now, Roman Abramovich may well have been seen to take a gamble when he brought Frank in. I wonder whether or not 18 months ago he anticipated that still 18 months on that Frank would still be in the job. I thought many people thought that he wouldn't really you know, last the season. And I think he did very well to get them into a top four position with the, the transfer ban that they had and the COVID problems that everybody had to manage with. And, and bearing in mind, he's a rookie manager, Matt. I suppose his first season should be deemed a success. But what about his second season? What are the problems? Well, clearly when you spend as much money as he has in the summer, um, you're going to be under even more scrutiny. And there's going to be more eyes on you and, and more expectation, particularly after what he, he did last season with the problems he had. Um, and unfortunately for, for Frank, a lot of those signings haven't necessarily borne fruit as yet. Um, particularly, you know, the, the two Germans, uh, Havertz and, and Werner. Um, so so unfortunately for Frank, he's, the eyes are going to be on him even more so when results don't don't go the way they're expected to. Um I, I'm I'm in the camp to give him more time. You know, I've seen we've seen enough players make the switch from from other leagues into the Premier League and take time to settle. Um, and and I think we're seeing that with with some of the players that he's brought in. I feel as though he, he he should be given more time. Whether he will or not, I think will depend 
a little bit on the next few weeks. Um, this game against Luton and the two league games against Wolves and Burnley, I think are going to be a bit more telling for him. So if he, if he can come through this little period, then then obviously he'll have a better chance of, of still being in the job come come February. Um, I mentioned it, I think, on the uh, podcast uh, last week when I was talking about the approach to the game and I, I was a little bit unsettled by this idea of playing two number eights and a holding midfield player because it's very narrow with the two wingers and Chelsea seem to play wingers that love to bomb forward and don't necessarily do their their defensive work which is not great when you've got Chilwell and James who also like to go on an attack as well it means that sometimes when you play decent opposition you're overloaded in the, the wide areas which is exactly what happened against Leicester City in midweek um have they got an identity? Have they got a philosophy? Do they seem to have... Could you tell me how Frank Lampard's team want to play, Alex? Because when I sat in the King Power Stadium on Tuesday night, I had a feeling that Leicester were a very good team and Chelsea just had a collection of very good players. Yeah, but that's always the problem when you bring in so many players in in, in one stroke. And obviously, they didn't have too much ability to bring in players before that because of the transfer embargo but he's tried to revamp the squad as Matt said it's going to take times for for players particularly coming from foreign leagues to adjust to the rigours of English football but I think you're right the, the identity is a definite problem I'm not sure what Frank Lampard wants from his team when he sends them out on the pitch I'm not completely convinced the players know either I mean just in terms of formation you'd have thought based on what you've said with, with James and Chilwell having to get forward and then very attack-minded wingers, they probably would lend themselves to a 4-2-3-1, wouldn't they? With two holding midfielders um, would be the obvious move to make if he wants to make them a bit more watertight defensively and to get those attacking players to truly express themselves. But trying to cram I think all the Matt's right. In. That's the problem. Well, that's why he's so desperate to sign Declan Rice, isn't it? But that's not a move that's going to happen this month. It, it may well happen in the summer, whether Lampard will still be the manager remains to be seen because I think Matt's right. He's got three games, by all accounts, to turn this around. I'm not even sure Luton in the FA Cup is, is one of those because I think it's almost expected that Chelsea win that match. Then they've got Wolves at home Wednesday, uh, Burnley at home next Sunday. Sport. Live on TalkSport, live on TalkSport. And then, and then Tottenham away on the Thursday night, uh, which obviously is a huge game, but... I mean, I was mocking you slightly last night, but for Chelsea to be 11 points behind Manchester United at the halfway stage of the season is simply, un- is simply unacceptable given the money they've spent. As a, as a rookie manager, look, I've never done the job myself, but you have to learn and you have to learn quickly. Um, and I think you have to be adaptable. Now, depending on the opposition you come up against, how you want to set your teams up, you're saying he should, you know, he shouldn't play with two number eights. I think if you're against a team that you're going to have the majority of the ball and you're going to force them back, then absolutely have two number eights. If you're going to play against one of the top teams, it might be that you have two holding midfield players. But you have to adapt your formation, your personnel, depending on who you're up against at, at, in any particular fixture. And I'll, I'll just give you an example of another rookie manager, you know, Scott Parker, for instance. Start the season, his team was shipping goals left, right, and centre, playing the back four. He was looked, he's looked at that and he's thought, right, I need to do something about that. Mm-hmm. He's ripped up his team from the opening day of the season to now. It's a totally different personnel. Yep. And it's a different system. He's playing the back three. He's shored them up at the back. His conundrum now is getting more goals into the team. But, so now he's got to try and find a striker. And that's his next problem that he's got to try and solve. But you have f- been faith that he will solve it because he's solved every problem that has come his well, way since he's taken over that club. That's my point, is that he's, he's proven that he's learning and he's, and he's adaptable. Um, so, so this is something that we've now got to see from Frank. Two quick questions for you, Sam, because I know you're reasonably close to, to, to Chelsea. Um, is he too stubborn? Is it his way or no way? Does he need to adapt, as Matt says? And I was with someone the other night who was also close to Chelsea, and he was saying maybe Frank and his coaching staff are too young. See, it's a very young management team. Maybe they need an experienced old head to get through to some of the more seasoned campaigners. Yeah, I'm surprised, actually, that uh, there isn't an older head in that coaching cohort. That can sometimes breed a little bit of paranoia, though, if you've got someone who has been a recent manager or has been in the hot seat themselves, that it, it may well be that they end up taking your your job. He didn't really have that at Derby, but I think his dad sort of did a, a role, didn't he, at Derby, where he sort of advised him a little bit. I was a bit surprised that the, maybe that didn't continue. Maybe it does sort of off the record. He, you know, he's Harry Redknapp's nephew. Maybe he, he does bounce ideas off other people, but possibly. I think he's very emotional, Frank, and I do think that being 
so entwined with the history of Chelsea Football Club does come with some problems too because he he really does care and I think that shows quite a lot. And I think that emotion has led to another criticism of him which has been the fact that he's perhaps thrown the players under the bus in some of his post-match interviews. So I think I think that's something that you know he has to be aware of that when he goes out and does the press so quickly after a match the emotions are running high his feelings are high about the, you know the players and what they've done or what they haven't done. He has to be careful to be able to switch from the dressing room where he's just given them a bit of a hammering to the press where he probably needs to protect them a little bit more. Well, of course, you know, I, I know that Crook would hate this, but there are rumours um, around that the next person who comes into Chelsea would have to be a German speaker. And one man who has been linked, of course, is Ralf Hasenhutl. And the only reason that I could stomach Frank Lampard being dismissed if it really, really irked Crook that Hasenhutl went from Southampton uh, to Stamford Bridge. That's the only sort of saving grace that there could possibly be if Chelsea made that decision, which I really hope they don't because I think it would it, it would lose a lot of uh, any sort of like, feeling that a lot of the fans... It would take it chip, chip a little bit away at the fans' soul, I think. I wouldn't begrudge Ralph Hasenhutl going to Chelsea. Yes, you I think would. He would. You'd hate I it. I think he would be a fantastic would, man for the yeah. job. Um, I think Thomas Tuchel... Well, I don't want him then. If you like it, I don't want him. <laughs> Thomas Tuchel would probably be a more live contender, wouldn't he? I think at this stage with the experience of He's managing a elite clubs. He just irritates everybody. He just winds up the people he works for and the players. That's not a great idea, is it? Do, do, you, do you think we're in these terms now where it's inevitable that Chelsea are going to part company with Frank Lampard. I don't think it is. No, no, I don't think it is. I think, look, I think I do think he's under serious pressure and he does need to put a run of results together. But I think that's possible. In this league, it's so easy and quick, the turnaround. It's because of the, the one, the proximity of the fixtures, but also Matt Holland, because we've seen it at other clubs. Yeah, we've seen, how many teams have been top of the Premier League already this every, season? Every single one of them, except for Sheffield exactly. United. Look, Frank. Frank just needs to do an online German course. That's what he needs. That's all he needs. Rosetta Stone or Duolingo or something like that. <laughs> it's half price Duolingo at the moment. It'd be it'd be fine. GCSE German for beginners. Come give me deine Hand. Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Yeah, she uh, liebt dich. Is that right? She liebt dich. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the Beatles song. Do you not know that, Crook? I can't believe you don't know that. It's a Beatles song. You don't know that. Unbelievable. <laughs> Um, it's almost as famous as Daniel Amakachi. Uh Right, let's uh, move on to uh, the opponents uh, that uh, Chelsea lost to on uh, Tuesday night, which was Leicester. What can they achieve? They played Brentford in the FA Cup. They've never won the FA Cup. They've been runners-up four times, I think. Uh, and there's one of the big sort of bones of contention that they've never gone deep. It, well, they've gone deep, but not ever lifted this particular trophy. Serial winners of the, the League Cup, of course, but not the FA Cup. Will they be distracted by their league conquests, Crook? I think he'll make changes um, because that's what he tends to do, Brendan Rodgers, in the FA Cup. And again, these midweek matches are, are hanging like a dark cloud over every FA Cup tie. But they're one of the sides who should be targeting this competition. It's only six games, isn't it? And they're playing so well in the league. They're not going to win the league, I don't think, still. You know, and sorry, Leicester fans. I think you have to talk about them in the shake-up, but they're, Manchester City are going to win the league. I think United will probably finish above Leicester and, and so will Liverpool. So I think Leicester fourth is as, as good as they can hope for. And I know that won't make me very popular in that part of the world, but I'm used to that. So, so let's try and not get many a trophy parts in the, of the world that you are popular, to be fair. <laughs> Not, not even in my own household. Um, but let's try and get a trophy in the cabinet because it's an exciting time to be a Leicester fan and, and they need something They need something to show for it. And, and the FA Cup might just be their best chance. Tough game. Tough game for them, this. You know, Brentford are flying in the championship. Um, got to the semi-finals of the League Cup. I just think this is a, a really difficult game for them. And, and you know... As much as Crook is saying, you know, they can't win the league, they'll they'll fancy their chances to do it. Why why wouldn't they? Um, but they've got a tricky game in midweek away at Everton. So I I can see him making quite a few changes here. Um, and because of that, I can see this one actually being an upset. I could see I could see Brentford winning this one. I think um I've just I've seen Brentford a couple of times this season, always been impressed with them. Uh, Ivan Tony, plenty of goals, and they just might. They just might turn turn Leicester over. It's an interesting question for Leicester fans, though, and we debated this um, on Darren Bent's boot room a couple of weeks ago. If you're a Leicester fan, 
And I could guarantee you here and now that you could either finish in the top four and play Champions League football next season, or you can win the FA Cup. Win the FA Cup. Win the FA Cup. Yeah. I agree. Darren Bent was adamant that even as an Arsenal fan, I said to him, would you rather finish 12th and win the FA Cup or finish 6th and not win the FA Cup. And he said he'd rather they finish sixth. Yeah, but Arsenal have won the FA Cup 14 times more than anybody else. Leicester have never still, won it. I'd still say FA Cup, though, even I for agree. that scenario. M- most people who text in did as well. It's about Football's about winning trophies at the end of the day. So I think Brendan Rodgers... It's a matter of opinion. Should, everybody should name has a strong to think team. the same as you. We're in a new era now. There's a new president of the United States. He wants us to be a little <laughs> bit uh, less aggressive and a little bit gentler in the way we talk to one another. So just because someone doesn't agree with you doesn't necessarily mean they're an idiot. It just means that they've just got a different opinion, OK? Let's try and take the temperature down a little bit, all right? Okay. Thank you, Jerry Springer. <laughs> Jerry Springer doesn't take the temperature down. He inflames it. Um, right. Let's talk about West Ham against Doncaster Saturday, three o'clock. Uh, and West Ham came through against Stockport in the last round. I was at the game at Edgley Park and it was a tight affair, actually. And they only just about got away with it. Um, they're, they're very good at picking up tight wins here and there. And I, I sent a message to Stuart Pearce on uh, Wednesday night after another tight victor- victory which I said, you know, wow, it keeps on going. And I think they're, I think they're very proud of what they've achieved so far. But they know that nothing is done yet, Matt, and they've got to keep focused until the end of the season because this could be a special season. The problem is with this fixture is, is if they do beat Doncaster in the next round, the fifth round, they've got the winners of Manchester United versus Liverpool. Yeah, forget that. Just just get past Doncaster first. Um, I was looking at the, the stats actually, and their home record is is really good. You know, there's been there's been a lot of talk about the London Stadium being a problem for them, and you know they don't enjoy playing there, and it's you know soulless, all this sort of stuff. Um, but actually, it's only Liverpool and Man City got more points than them in the Premier League this season at home. So I, I, I was a bit surprised when I saw that. Um, it's a tricky enough game against a team that are going well in League One. I, I don't know. I still, I still think you know West Ham have got a good opportunity to to do well in this competition and and just will pick a strong enough team to win it. I, I'd, I'd expect West Ham to, to to come through this one. Yeah, I agree. I, I think David Moyes, as he showed in the last round, treats the FA Cup with respect. It was the very strong team that he sent out against Stockport. I would expect it to be similar again, despite the fact they'll have a, a Premier League game quickly on the horizon against Crystal Palace. And I think he's a manager who understands the value of a cup run. West Ham as a club haven't won this competition in my lifetime uh, and their supporters would love to see them go to Wembley and go all the way. And um, I think they'll beat Doncaster. And I think they they could well be a threat for United or Liverpool in the next round, depending how strong either Solskjaer or Jurgen Klopp decide to go with their team selection. Oh, is it written in the stars, is it, that David Moyes goes back to Old Trafford with West Ham and knocks out Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United and Crook goes into a rage once again. And then he's happy again because he can have a go at Oli uh, for going out early in a cup competition. That, that's his dream scenario. Um, what about Wickham against Tottenham Hotspur? Monday night, 7.45. Uh, Tottenham usually uh, show respect to this competition, don't they? I mean, there, there was quite an interesting game between these two a few years ago, which was topsy-turvy. Was it 4-3 or something like that? It was a great game. Um, they play each other yeah. uh, once again. Um, this should be, I mean, look, Wickham have struggled in the championship this season, Matt. They, they should be dispatched by Tottenham, who have got enough resources to to change a lot of players. And they will, because they play on Monday night at Adams Park, and then they play Liverpool on Thursday night. So they're likely to make a lot of changes, aren't they? Yeah, they've got a good enough squad, though, to, to come through it. Um, do you know, Wickham, I, I feel for their supporters as, as much as anybody in this pandemic. Their first season in the championship, they haven't been able to see it. Then they draw Spurs at home in the cup and they can't they can't be there and, and sample that atmosphere. You know, I really, really do feel for them that they haven't been able to experience this season. Um it's been a yeah, it's been a tough year, bottom of the league, and the the, the, the likelihood is they're gonna go back down um to League One. But this is another, you know, massive occasion for them. Um, but Spurs, Spurs will, will be too strong. I'm fairly sure of that. It's a year that ends in one, so they'll fancy their chances of winning the cup this year, won't they? Is that a moment? Yeah. Uh, nineteen was it? I think it was 1921. They won the uh, cup for the first time. I think uh, 61. Obviously, was their big double season. They won it in 81. They won it in 91. 
Uh, I think they won a... Did they win a European trophy in 71? I think it's possible that they did, or a League Cup or something. Anyway, or usually when the year ends in a one, Tottenham Hotspur are there. Uh, so it could be their year again. Crookie, what do you reckon? I wonder if Gareth Bale might get a run out. What a disastrous return to Tottenham that's been um, so far. And there's already talk in Spain that Spurs have no intention of turning that into a permanent transfer. You can understand why. Uh, more game time for Deli Ali as well. I think we, we talked right at the top of the programme about squad depth and Tottenham have got genuine strength in depth now. So again, I'll make Matt right. I think they'll have too much for Wickham. But I was at that game actually at White Hart Lane that you alluded to a few seasons ago and Akin Fenwa was a real handful for the uh, Tottenham defence. He was taken off uh, late in the game and that almost swung momentum in Spurs' favour. So once again, they're not going to fancy coming up against him too much. But also, Matt's uh, absolutely right to highlight the lack of a home crowd because it does, as we said in, in the third round, it takes something away from the occasion and, and, and just takes a bit of the jeopardy away as well because it, it means that that's one thing that Spurs won't have to contend with, a baying home crowd you know, baying down their necks every time they go and take a throw in or a corner. Okay, I'm looking forward to the FA Cup. There's eight live commentaries on TalkSport this weekend, starting with Chorley against Wolves on the Friday night. It kicks off at 7.45 with me and Matt Murray. We've got Southampton against Arsenal, Cheltenham against Manchester City, and another big highlight, of course, Manchester United against Liverpool on Sunday afternoon with Jim Pranford and with Andy Townsend and Mark Hughes. You can tune in to TalkSport and TalkSport 2 via our app, which you can download from the usual places, and then you can flick between the two. Uh, that's it from us. We'll be back with a full review of all the action a preview of big midweek fixtures and there's some huge big midweek fixtures on Monday Darren Lewis is going to join us for that uh, keep downloading and subscribing thank you very much Matt Holland cheers Sam enjoyed that thank you very much and thank you very much to Alex Crook as well I hope we've put a smile on your face because we know how disappointed you are that Manchester United are top of the league I am happy as Larry thank you very much and all how Daniel Amacacci The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.